No. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. Thanks for tuning in. Excited about this episode. Um, talking with a good buddy from Savannah um, about a lot of light tackle and fly fishing. I'm going to start doing a lot more fly fishing episodes. It doesn't appeal to the masses as much, but it's definitely my passion. And I, I get a lot of questions about fly fishing through Eastern Current and through uh, just just my own guiding business. And um, it, as time progresses, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, more people are getting into fly fishing. And it's just, it's an incredible sport. It's a lot of fun. It tests your skills as an angler. Um, and it's a great way to, uh, to enjoy some time out on the water. And your focus, uh, we were talking pre-show about this, but your focus kind of shifts a little bit as a fly angler. Hopefully it's going to shift a little bit. Um, from you know maybe filling the cooler up to conservation minded and 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 you you're enjoying the whole experience more than just like putting the fish in the cooler getting the fish to the boat at least that's the the overall mindset that you see from more fly anglers um, which i hope to see progress into more just anglers in general but um, before we uh, introduce our secret special guest i'm going to just go over the pre-show stuff real quick so if you do love this podcast um, it's just an incredible help blessing Financially, if you can support us through Patreon, and that's just a $5 a month or $10 a month donation, um, I'll link the Patreon page in the show notes and as, or as well as on the podcast or the YouTube uh, channel show notes. And so um, no pressure at all if you can't do that. Um, please, please keep watching the podcast, listen to the, or listen to the podcast and watching the YouTube videos. Um, we, we, we appreciate all that, but if you feel led to, to help, that's awesome. Um, the other thing is our Facebook group, Eastern current fishing. It's a little group for all the listeners to, you know, kind of communicate and hopefully, uh, connect with some other anglers that they can get out on the water with. So that's all I got to say. And let's jump in and here is captain Chad. What's going on, man? How you doing, bud? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, enjoying looking at all those sexy looking fly rods behind you. I see a Siegler reel up there. I did yeah. a I did a podcast with them last week. I haven't launched it yet. Yeah, some cool dudes, man. Super cool dudes. Very very cool dudes. Yeah, uh, managing a fly shop helps my addiction. Yeah, for sure. Or hurts it. It's like it's like being a being like a crack dealer and being addicted to crack. It's like it'd be hard to uh, to not keep taking yeah. for yourself. That was maybe hard a bad not analogy. To get high but... on your own supply. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How often do you leave the the fly shop? You think with new gear. Um, you know, it's not as often as you think you get, I've been in the outdoor industry since I was 15, yeah. um, started working at outdoor shops and, uh, been a, you know, a gear junkie for a long time, but there gets a point where you kind of have seen it all. And there's a few new things that come out every, every year that really will grab your attention. But, um, the Siegler reels being one of them, yeah, um, for sure. but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's hard to have some restraint sometimes. Yeah. So let's hear your kind of backstory as far as how you got into fishing, where it's taken you, and, and, and how you arrived at where you are today. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I grew up here in Savannah, um, lived here until my um, late teens, moved down to Florida for school for a little bit, moved back up to Savannah and here until I was about 23. And then I moved out west, uh, worked for a climbing shop in Washington um, State, Um I grew up fishing, but never had fly fish. And once I moved to Washington State, I bought my first fly rod, which is a 1942 Orvis bamboo rod off of some guy for 40 bucks. Nice. That's kind of caught my first little uh, lake run, lake or not lake run, lake lake brook trout up in uh, Alpine Lake up in Washington, and went to Montana that next summer to go fish the Yellowstone for the first time and fell in love. And that fall, decided to move there and got a job at a coffee shop and spent all winter saving up and 
getting better at fishing and started guiding that next summer for two years in Glacier and then spent um, four years guiding in Missoula, um, where I met you in my last summer in Missoula. And, yep. Uh, decided uh, Rivers and Glen had just opened up down in Savannah and wanted to try to just, you know, learn my own fishery again from a different aspect and moved down to Missoula or back to Savannah in 2016, started running Rivers and Glen and then um, used those that time to kind of relearn the fishery and started guiding launch tall tides uh, last this time last year. Nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, that, that what we were talking before we, we started recording here about our meeting in Missoula. It's pretty funny. Like it just shows how small of a world the fishing world is. Me and, me and, uh, Chad always bump into each other like the most, or like our connections are just so random. We're like, always know like this minute little person or a connection. So I ended up living in this sick little garage apartment that Chad lived in for a while after he left Missoula was when I started my time in Missoula, but it was, a uh, I miss that place, man. I wish I, I was about to move there full time and I met my wife. So I blame it on her that I'm not there now. <laughs> yeah. We could blame a lot of women on things we do fishing wise. <laughs> exactly. But that I always tell people, and I feel like it's a lot like Savannah too. Like we were talking about earlier, but I also say Wilmington, like when I have clients here and they ask about my travels and my fishing and whatnot, and I bring up Missoula um, I always uh, say it's kind of like Wilmington in Montana. Like the people, as far as the people, they're the same. They're both, you know, outdoor. They want to spend time outside, but they're, you know, there's really cool little small bars and um, everything's kind of wrapped and focused around in the outdoors. And the, the mindset and the personality of the people and like the, the friendliness of the people is the same as, as Wilmington, I believe. And, and I, you were saying the same thing about Savannah. It's kind of, the, they're yeah, similar I mean- towns. That's why I fell in love with Missoula the first time I went there is walking around town. It was the first time I'd been somewhere outside of Savannah where walking on the streets, people, you know, made a point to wave at you and say, hey, and kind of the generosity, but the old town feel. I mean, Missoula is a really old town. Yeah. Savannah's, you know, the oldest city in Georgia. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like uh, here, people live to be on the water and same thing for Missoula, live for to be sure. outside. Yeah, they definitely do. And I always hear the same thing, too, about Wilmington and Savannah. People are like, oh, Savannah's just like, a, it's like another Wilmington, a bigger Wilmington. So um, maybe those are the three top towns in the country that are just unknown, you know? Yeah. People are going to get mad if I share that too much, that that's where you want to live. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I asked Chad before we went, uh, started, before we started recording, I was like, what are some of the things that you want to touch on um, in this podcast? Because I've had a lot of interest in, in the Georgia fishery. I love fishing in Georgia. And as this podcast grows, I I really want to focus on Georgia up to Virginia. Those are kind of our states that um, don't have as much exposure as far as, you know, content like this where you can you can learn, um, learn from. So and Chad, just like myself, is a big advocate for conservation and and was talking about like if I'm going to say anything on this podcast, I want to talk about how, you know, we need to be more conservation minded here in Georgia. So I wanted to give you the time to to jump into that and kind of talk about what you see there in Georgia and kind of what you want to see. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, first off, growing up here, um, I grew up fishing bait and tackle like just about everybody else. Didn't really pay attention to the fishery, know much about it. My my stepdad's from here, and he raised me fishing here, and, you know, we, we kept fishing, ate them all the time, and never was an issue. Um, and then once I moved out to Montana and uh, started fishing there, and just kind of the, the mindset of the angler in Montana is that of 100% catch and release. Um there's just no question about it as far as picking up on the river, you know, 
you're, you're damned if you get caught littering in Montana or, or right. doing anything bad to the river. I mean, the river rules everything. And, um, you know, coming back home and kind of realizing that that mentality doesn't, didn't quite exist here. And not that people don't respect the river, but, um, we don't necessarily always respect the fish and understand that, you know, sometimes filling the freezer isn't the most important thing to do. Um, you know, we have a, a, a pretty high creel limit um, for trout and redfish. Um, I focus more on the redfish just because the trout fishery is very, very strong here. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate that I'm friends with a few uh, DNR biologists and officers um, that I've been able to have some pretty extensive conversations about the fishery. And I'm also the head of the management committee for the state of Georgia for CCA. I see. Uh, one thing we're trying to push for right now, which... I think we'll get a lot of people on board because from talking to the biologists, what they've discovered is that when they do the, the numbers every year on redfish, they don't necessarily see that they're growing or declining as much as they're just kind of just been kind of even keel for a while. And, you know, in all reality, that's not the greatest or the worst thing, but um, it, it's not heading in the greatest direction. Um, it, some people will argue that and whatnot, but, you know, I asked, couple of the biologists and the scientists and some of the DNR officers, like what would be a good tactic kind of to kind of attack? Um, because as soon as you just start mentioning lowering the creel limit, all the people that don't want change are the ones that come out. Um, those are the people that have the loudest voice are the ones that never want to have any change happen. Um, and when it comes to these town hall meetings that DNR and the, the state have, those are the people that show up. All the, the people that don't, that want to see change are usually kind of the, the hardest to get hold of when the, when the time matters. Um, so one thing that we're going to try to push for um, and that I'm trying to push for right now is putting a guide limit in place because um, right now if I'm guiding two anglers in Georgia, we can keep 15 redfish in a, on a charter. They can keep my redfish as well. Um, and one of the reasons I'm going to, I want to target that is because of a few different reasons, but the recreational angler should not be opposed to that because if anything, that's keeping the guide that they're competing fishing with from keeping more fish. Right. Um, the guide should not be opposed because um, that's less pressure on him to catch more fish for his anglers to be able to bring home that yeah. day. Um, and then the client really doesn't have a say because most of the time the client is not from Georgia or they're out of state or not from the coast. So it, it shouldn't, their vote, they really wouldn't have a vote most of the time anyways. Um, but that way it's a, a way for us to kind of get a foot in the door as far as conservation and kind of limiting the amount of redfish that can be harvested, um, on a guide trip every day. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to take food out of people's mouth. I understand. I grew up here. I, I, I love to eat fish. Trout tacos are some of my favorite thing in the oh, world. Yeah. Um, but I want my grandkids to be able to, you know, catch a couple of fish to be able to eat. And, uh, if, uh, you just, you got to start at some point with conservation because, you know, it's harder to bring it back than it is just to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And I think for the listeners here in North Carolina that, um, you know, we struggle, we still have gillnets and, and our yeah. commercial fishing, um, harvest just destroys our trout population. It destroys our, our flounder population. It destroys our redfish population. Um, and, and not, not just the gillnets either. The, the nearshore trawlers are devastating our waters as well, killing, you know, juvenile gray trout and flounder um, and croaker and spot and a lot of these fish that a lot of, you know, the 
the the less well the guys that come out and just fish on the pier and they're trying to catch a couple of fish to take home for dinner spots and croakers and whatnot and they they can't because the trawlers have killed all the babies and they're wondering why there's no you know there's no full size fish anymore but um, what I really like about about what you're saying is it inspires me because getting gillnets out of the water is just the first step here getting trawlers pushed out to five miles is just the first step here it's like we need to keep pushing for conservation. And, and like you were saying, and, and this is what I always share too, is like the fish don't have a voice for themselves. Like most other things are going to have people speak out because it, it's a little more direct, but it's so easy to take from a resource that you can't see. Like underwater, you're like, oh yeah, the redfish population is fine. I caught 30 of them yesterday. Uh, it's, so, it's so hard without studies to really know where we're at, but just continually pushing for, for more conservation is, is my opinion. And I'm definitely radical. Um, and I'd say you're probably radical on the, the side of conservation as well, but I think we got to be. We're we're so far gone. Like the normal is like what we think is good. Is, it was poor back when you know the fish levels were where they the, or the fish stocks were where they should have been. So that's my kind of rambling on conservation. But um, gillnets are just the start. Like I, I love I like that I like that uh, that guide law that you're thinking about. So if say it's like a guide with that, that takes out five clients. They can keep, you know, five per person and the guides limit as well. Yeah. Do you see that a lot, like in pictures down there from from ba- like bait fishing guides and stuff like that, where they're killing yeah, thirty fish a day and stuff? Yeah, and no, I mean you you see it a lot, and we, I mean we do have a very strong bait fishery. Um, you know, our sight fishing is a different story, but that that has a lot to do with pressure, but also tides. Um, but yeah, you see it a lot. Dead fish on dock picks are, are very popular, and I'm not putting down any guide out there doing it to make money. Yeah. Uh, we have to do our thing, and and uh, when you can go out there and do it every day, why not keep doing it? Because it, it, it it's working, and you know you can you can argue it from a lot of different angles. Um, but do I think that those guys would be upset if there was a law preventing them from keeping half of those fish? I don't, I don't think they would. There, there's some old guys, you know, my, my stepdad's a perfect example. The first time I mentioned when I lowered the krill limit, he just kind of scoffed at me because he's been, he's born and raised here. He literally lives on the same river he grew up on and he's been fishing it for redfish his entire life. And, you know, his favorite redfish is a, 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 a redfish out of the surf that, you know, is illegal now, but it was legal when he was a kid to be able to catch a 26 inch redfish out of the surf. That's his favorite redfish. He, he just can't do it anymore. So. Yeah. You get that old mentality of those guys that don't want to change. Those are the guys that show up at the board meetings about change to prove their point. Right. And so um, you see it in voting and in every aspect of life. But, uh, you know, I I definitely don't want to claim that I'm the first person to try to come in and do something and I'm not the one. I'm, I don't know all the exact science behind it, but, you know, I've grown up here long enough and I've been here long enough and seen the fishing long enough to know that, you know, we could use some change. We're not in dire need of it at the moment, but there there will be will be a time. So if we can get our foot in the door now, um, we can just make it last better longer. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. That that's super cool. What what is your slot down there for redfish? Um, off the top of my head, I think it's thirteen to twenty three. Thirteen to twenty three. Um, I could yeah. be off. Yeah, I think I could be off by an inch or two. But like I said, I don't really keep redfish to to pay attention too much. Right. Um, right. An eight an eighteen inch redfish is is quite delicious to eat um and our, our our trout limit is much larger i think it's 15 trout um above 14 inches um like i said i don't know the exact science of buying this because i'm not a bait fisherman and i'm not a full-time guide but um yeah they're, they're they're pretty large numbers especially when you um compare you know south carolina just dropped their career limit to two redfish 
Um, Florida's got two to one redfish throughout the state. Um, and we have, you know, one of the smallest coasts in the Southeast and, you know, we're still harvesting a lot of, a lot of redfish. So we're either claiming that we, we don't care about the numbers or that we have the best red fishery in the world. And yeah. our red fishery is great, but it, it's, uh, it, it's, I think a little bit more, um, ignorance is bliss than anything right now yeah for sure for sure it's uh it's tough man like we're allowed one one i can't imagine killing like on a bait trip uh, taking clients out and catching you know a couple limits of trout and then a limit or two of red i mean you're, you're cleaning 100 fish by the time it's over with and well you, you know. can you can clean a school if i mean you have four clients in your boat on a bait trip i mean you can clean a school of fish out definitely to where they to where to where they'll never be there again yeah yeah, that's uh, that's scary. The same thing that we see with the gillnets here. It's like I'll have a nice school of redfish yeah. in a bay, go you know go back and they're freaking gone, and there's some dead ones floating around with gillnet scars that are too small, and that's just one guy gets to take the whole herd, you know, gets to take the whole herd of buffalo, and and no one else gets to enjoy them or, or you know benefit from them. So, well, uh, enough about the depressing conservation because we uh, we both we both have a a voice in one herd in that, but let's talk a little bit about kind of a switch around like I think more than anywhere that I've ever been to fish Savannah is one of the coolest destinations to hang out in when you're off the water so let's talk a little bit about you know the town of Savannah and and what you can do around there a little bit and and just why it it, it is such a cool place to to come maybe with like for me and my wife we went down there we were going to try to fish but it was blowing it's going to try to fish with you it blew like 30 I think that day um and yeah uh, um, but we got to hang out around town tons of cool bars and stuff and shops and whatnot yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we were talking before the show. Um, one of the things I really liked about my hometown, Savannah, was one of the things that really drew me to Missoula was that it's not necessarily, you know, the place to go red fishing or the place to go trout fishing like Missoula um, in the state of Montana, Montana or red fishing in the southeast. Uh, if you want to go catch big redfish, you go to Louisiana. Everybody knows that. Right. Um, but is there really anything to do in Hopedale other than catch redfish? No. Um, is there anything to do in you know, in its Montana, besides catch big browns, no. Uh, so you go to places like either Bozeman or Missoula or Savannah or Charleston because you want to experience, you know, the culture of the town as, as well as fishing a cool fishery. And, you know, we what's cool about Savannah is it's an old town. It's got old city streets. It's still off the beaten path for most people. You know, we don't have a big direct airport or anything like that. It's still easy to get to um, as far as driving. It's right off 95. Um, but the food scene here is wonderful. People always say it's about 10 years behind Charleston, which is great because I, I, I don't think it's anything like Charleston. It's not as busy and crowded. Yeah. You know, we don't have quite the fancy food scene, but we have a pretty insanely um, delicious food scene yeah. that uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan of <laughs> myself. I've, I've always said everything in moderation except for fishing and eating. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a great place to come visit. It's cheap. Um, the people are phenomenal. Uh People ask me constantly how I was able to leave Montana and you, you get out on the on the boat early sunrise morning and get to watch that sunrise over the ocean. It's, it's just a different kind of beautiful. Um, and then as far as our fishery, it's a it's a it's a difficult fishery. It's it's um, we have very big tides compared to most places in the southeast on the coast. Um, on a big big tide swing, we can have up to nine ten foot tides sometimes. Um, and uh, it just means the fish have to move around a lot. So as as far as sight fishing, you're, you you have short windows. 
Um, you can fish throughout the tide most of the time, but can you fish throughout the tide with the weather? That's, that's where you have to just have so many boxes check off to have a successful day. So it makes it a little bit more technical. Um, we do have flood tides, which is, I think, really what everyone is targeting. Um, people, even people that come fish from Louisiana who've got, you know, multiple, multiple big bull reds um, on top water all day still haven't had a chance to come fish in the grass where you literally, before the tide gets up there, it looks like somebody's front yard. And then all of a sudden it just starts filling it with water and you right. see these crawling around on their backs, backs out of the water, tails flopping upside down. You get some sometimes that are a little spooky, but you know when when the fishing's really good and you get fish literally doing headstands, their tails are flopping in and out of the water, and you just hear massive eats. And you know you can have a 18 inch fish sound like a three foot fish in the marsh just because they're so aggressive when they're eating in the grass. Yeah. And then, uh, but you have a, such a short window to get up there, have that hour to two hours before high. You have your slack, which they usually sit pretty still. Um, just, just not really moving without the current. They love current. Yeah. And then outgoing, you can kind of catch them coming off the flats from the outgoing. Um, but it, uh, it can be a, a fun, wild ride. And it's one of those things, you know, as soon as you get up on the bow, game's on. There's no BS or chit chat. It's, right. you know, we're walking fish, you cat, you know, and then, and then we can catch up on the way back to, to, to the boat ramp. Yeah. No joking right now. Shut your mouth. Catch that fish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, stop, really see him tailing. Care. Don't look away from him. Keep your eyes on that tail. Don't lose that fish. Think about how you're about to catch him. <laughs> I yeah. say that all the time. I had uh, my buddies from Southern Culture on the Fly out in October, and we were fishing some super early morning flood tides where they're here, and we got to the day before David um, missed a couple shots of fish, and they were being a little spooky, so we didn't get one, and he hadn't had a good tailing redfish session in a long time. And That next morning, we got up there at dark in the morning, pulled up to the flat, and he had offers for Steve to get up there, and I was. We were like, "Nope, Dave, you need to get your stuff together. Get up on the platform. We're going to make this count." And sure as it it worked out, he uh, hooked up pretty quickly. But you know, you just get these great moments where you can literally catch a fish in eight inches of water in the grass before the sun rises. Right? Yeah, it's so awesome. It's, yeah. and it's literally so beautiful in, in totally different ways. I'm with you. Like you think about how do we leave Montana, but it's like. And guys like you and I, we've got to experience a little bit of everything, you know. We've got to, and you want to, you want to, and you want to live in each area, like each fishery. Like I, I don't want to just go fish each fishery. Like I want to spend time and learn it and get, really get to know it and be immersed in, you know, that culture and that, um, you know, that that fishery and that that species. And I think that's like Savannah. When people ask me if you could go back and like plant yourself somewhere to be a fishing guide which is a question I feel like I get kind of often. Like if you could go back, would you be, would you still be in Wilmington or would you be somewhere else? I always say Georgia. Like, I just think Georgia is such a cool kind of a little, like you said, there's not many guides down there. It's a little more unexplored as far as the sight fishing goes. And maybe I'm crazy, but I I just really like Georgia Uh, and you're right there close to Florida. But um, let's talk a little bit about the, the low tide fishing. So here it's a lot of times in our coastal river, um, the Cape Fear, the, the, well, one of our coastal rivers, the one that I, I, you know, I spend a lot of my summer in. Um, it's a lot like there where you've got big tides. They're not that big, but the water's a little muddy. You know, you got a lot of moving water, a lot of pluff mud. And so that sight fishing is really sick, but it's a short window. So usually it's like for me, the two hours before and the two hours after low tide. Um, and then again, when it gets up in the grass and then, you know, depending on where you are, you get, you can delay the tide a little bit and you just need those shallower banks, but you need that 
you know, a, a, along the edge of the bank, you need that foot of water or less, like something real shallow that where you can see, you're not going to see fish in three feet of water. Um, is that kind of what you're looking for down there? Yeah, same thing. We just have bigger tides with shorter window. Um, we have, you know, pretty good winter low tide fishing. That's when our water clears up really good and you just get these beautiful days, um, which is super clear, crisp, clear coast, southeastern coastal water. It's still not blue like down in the Keys. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're low tide fishing. You're looking for big bays, um, kind of inlets, cuts, um, anywhere where you have big sandbars that come out that can be protected. Um, you're looking for some kind of structure on them, um, shorter, shallower grass. Uh, oyster rakes, stuff like that, where you can find where these fish, as the tide comes in, they can kind of move in as the water fills up, and they're, you know, they're 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 always running from predators, right? Um, so they're they're trying to stay out of it. So if you can find structure for them to be able to tuck up next to as the tide comes in, um, that's usually a good sign. We don't have um, great tide fishing creeks here, just because our tides are so big. Um, a lot of our creeks are just really deep, um, and I'm speaking. Primarily in Savannah where I fish, you know, the coast is still 90 miles long and there's plenty of guys down south of me that fish a little differently or the same and have different fishing. Um, but as far as Savannah and the kind of the areas I fish is, you know, we're looking for, you know, big sandbars, mud flats. Um, in the wintertime and the summertime, we actually still have really good low tide fishing. It's just like you said, muddier. Um, it's, it's trying to pick your battle on what the wind's doing for the mud that day. The incoming tide, outgoing tide, typically your last hour or two of outgoing before dead low before incoming or your cleanest water mm -hmm. um to be able to find those fish but yeah you're looking for that about a foot foot and a half of water to be able to see those fish still be able to push around make noise um and then if you're fishing anything deeper than that you're just really just blind casting yeah, yeah. um uh, and just giving yourself a, a bigger disadvantage how's the uh the shallow water shark fishing there i know in, in south carolina you get a lot of bonnet heads and um, other sharks like that do you have some of that to play around with to kind of piece together a day yeah, there's some, there are some, you can, you know, find some low tide fish or mid tide fish like coming in and out of the grass. Uh, it was, uh, last weekend I had a client, we were messing around with some little two, three foot bonnet heads that were kind of on the mid tide on a little grass shelf. Um, they're a little more play, they're, they're more playful than aggressive. They'll kind of chase the fly. You'll hook one out of every couple. Um, yeah. but you're really playing the game of if you're fishing, do you want to hook into one risking breaking it off? knowing that you might run into a redfish right after that and, not, and then not have a fly right, on. Right. So if I, I'll tell a, a customer that situation, I'm like, if you want to mess with them, mess with them. Um, but you know, we're, we're looking for redfish. So, yeah. um, you know, as far as shark trips, it's, it's more fun just to go out behind a shrimp boat Yeah. and, uh, just, just throw some flashy streamers and just hold on till you can't anymore and straighten it out and break it off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sharks. Yeah. You gotta be. You gotta be either willing to just break them off or ready to fight your butt off on a fly rod for for a big shark, especially in deep water. Man, holy crap, they can pull yeah. like crazy. Um, yeah, th that's kind of a similar scenario too with the sharks. The same thing with Louisiana is like when on a good day down there, you're like, don't throw at the little redfish. Now, he's 15 pounds. Don't throw at him. Don't throw at him. You know, wait, hold tight. Because every time you hook a, a small fish, it's like that's when the big redfish floats up off the bow. You got a 30 pounder, um, and it's, I, but I, I'm so bad about it, man. Like I throw at everything. I, I talk, I talk a big and game. Like when I'm guiding, I'm like, no, don't throw at the little one. But when I'm up there, I'm like throwing at every little thing that moves. And I, I'll cast at any fish I see. Yeah. Same here. I'm the same way. Um, 
it's I think it's all fun. It's it's all. I mean, if you really like fly fishing, it's all about the visual. I think it's about the eat, man. It, anything that you're tricking into eating your fly, you're watching it eat it. It's cool. I mean, obviously, if there's a thirty pound redfish coming down the bank, and there's a five pound redfish coming down the bank. I'm gonna throw a thirty pounder. Um, but but both bites are going to be cool. Both both fish you know fights are going to be fun and getting them to the boat. It's it's really when you're playing for a big fish, it's all about the picture. I feel like not always, but I mean, it's it's a more of, it becomes a little bit more about wanting a good picture. But I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. and uh, be sometimes hard. that five sometimes that five pound redfish is going to eat ten times more aggressively than that uh, yeah. thirty pound redfish. So um, those, those smaller guys can you know our average fish is five you know five to eight pounds you know. Yeah. I would say on a good flood tide, you know, on an average fish, people ask me that all the time. It's really hard to say um, just because it's not like most fishing where you have big numbers to have big and uh, very obvious averages. You know, when we're out fishing a flood tide, you know, I was listening to Captain Scott Owens, who's down in St. Simons. He did a podcast not too long ago talking about how, you know, it's about the sustainability of our fishery and you know he's been guiding in this region with a couple other guides for a long time and you know they used to go out on low tides and even flood tides and catch seven to 20 fish and that was a phenomenal day um nowadays you know getting a client in a short flood tide window on three or four fish is you know something to write home about right um but uh you know it's it's one of those things you just kind of take it as it is and you know, those average size fish, I would say, are between like 22 and 26, pretty average. Uh, yeah, that's a lot like our fish. On our a, fish. Yeah, 28 inch plus fish, 28 inch plus redfish in the grass is great. Um, anything below 22 is kind of meh, um, but still a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, low tide, I would say the average maybe gets, I would say on low tide, the average is a little harder to say just because schools of redfish are so diverse in their size. Yeah, that you can have a school with 18 inch fish and 30 inch fish in it. So, yeah, um, I would say honestly, you're going to catch a little bit bigger fish on the on the flats and than than low tide typically. Oh, cool. But you can also find massive, you know, schools of big redfish too, um, and low tides. Can you st- like do you stumble into some of the 30 pound fish and stuff down there sometimes? Like, will that happen in the shallow water? You know, not, not really. I. I I will say, you know, I don't, um, but I'm still a young guide. Um, I haven't been fishing this area like I'm fishing it in a long time. You can still stumble into them. I mean, we still have big bull reds and fishing, you know, cut bait mullet and stuff. In the fall, we have massive bull reds that come down here. Um, There are guides who I won't even name their names on this um, that I know know how to find them um, with flock. And, uh, but it's a, I think it's a perfect storm kind of deal. And, uh, I'd never once ask them, try to ask them how they do it because that's right. something they've curated over time. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not something I think anyway, if, if it happens, it's definitely off the radar, but so are most things that happen in our fishery yeah. off the radar. No, yeah. you know, we're pretty protective. You gotta, there. even if you don't know the secret, you've got to be stoked. That there's still some secrets out there <laughs> with, yeah. with, with, the, you know, the way fishing is nowadays. Yeah. So I know tons of secrets, six secrets. Everyone would want to know, but I just can't share them. So. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, it's like that. Bob, that keeps me up at night sometimes. Though I'm like, or or you know, you hear that somebody has been catching tarpon, you know, inshore. You hear somebody's been catching, you know, big bull redfish 
sight fishing. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Like, I got to figure that out. It, but that's good. I mean, that pushes you to become a better angler. It keeps the wheels turning, keeps you from just getting in a rut. Um, you know, that, that challenge and that fire to become better is, is very important as a guide and an angler. So, yeah, I think it, it's what makes, um, yeah, you can be a redfish guide forever and there's nothing wrong with that. Or you can be a trout guide forever and there's nothing wrong with that. I think being able to push those limits and finding what else you can target, and whether it's, you know, cobia or, you know, knowing whenever the weather is going to be really bad, you can go find somewhere to, like you do, go, you know, take your skip up the river and look for striper. And, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, uh, anybody can guide when the fishing is good. It's, uh, you really stand out whenever you've got to shoot from the up. Yeah. It, uh, it makes you, it breaks you sometimes the days that it makes you, yeah. when you like, you roll the dice, you know, let's go try this. And it pays off, pays off. It's like, makes you feel good. And you're like, it was, it really was just luck for the most part, but like yeah. a goal. I'd rather be hunch. lucky than good. Me too, man. Me too. Um, that's cool. There was one other topic that we, we were discussing. We want to talk about, can you remember what it was? Um, you know, kind of what we, what, what to look for yeah, as far as right. like how we're fishing down here. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So, you know, guiding and work running the shop can be a, a little contradicting upon themselves as far as fishing is concerned, because as a guide, you don't necessarily want to give up your tactics and your secrets, but running a shop, you know, you have a lot of people that come in and they want to learn how to fish this fishery and being that fly fishing is growing continuously. Um, especially in this area, we get a lot of people to come in every week, especially in the summertime, every weekend. Um, they're either here to visit. Um, they're just moving here, whether it's military, we have a strong military presence, um, anything like that. And they, they want to know how to catch redfish. And, you know, a lot of places that you want to go fishing, you just go buy a rod, spin a rod, whatever you want to buy. And you can go to the beach, cast around for a little bit or go to a dock or whatever. And you can go catch something or try to. Um, you know, with our big tides here and our technical fishing, it's, it's just not that easy. So I get a lot of people to come in and they want to go, you know, where can I go wade? And, you know, when you're up in Charleston or even, you know, not even that far North in Beaufort, since they don't have as many big tides, they have, maybe that's not it. That's my theory. Um, but they have a lot more walkable flats than we do. Gotcha. Um, a lot of our flats are out on, first off, Georgia has more undeveloped barrier islands than pretty much anywhere on the east coast um so a lot of our flats aren't really accessible by foot only you have to have a boat or a kayak or paddleboard or and most of the time you have to have a boat you can't even get to some of them just because you have to cross big sounds to get to so it's a hard place to go fish and it's hard sometimes to tell someone in the shop that yeah if you go to the beach and walk down with a fly rod in your hand you're definitely not going to catch anything because you're probably not um so <laughs> without telling them that they need to book a guide, which is really your best chance of catching a fish. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard for someone to be able to come here and just go randomly catch redfish. Um, yeah. it's, uh, especially on a fly rod. Um, but things to look for, especially on flats, what I've realized, um, you want to, you know, you can go look at any marsh grass and at a high tide, they all kind of look good. But, you know, one thing you're looking for is more of a hard bottom. You, first off, you're wade fishing. You need something to be able to walk on. It's not going to sneak you right. up to your butt. Because plus mud is what, like, my reality of what uh, quicksand was as a child. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. never have we ever run across actual quicksand as adults. But as a child, you're made to believe that it's everywhere. I think bluff mud <laughs> is quicksand. Yeah, I'm uh, with you on that. I mean, there. The more you jiggle in it, the more it 
you think in it and knowing that you're never going to think above your head in it there's times where you'll get desperate and you're like man this is it'll it'll kick your butt um, For sure. and you're you come out exhausted <laughs> you come out exhausted but you know using google maps is i mean i stare at google maps more than i stare at weather apps which is my fiance always asks me what the weather's doing because she knows I'm always looking at the weather. Yeah, that's how my wife is. <laughs> yeah, they, she's. I'm, always, I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, you've looked at the weather app three times a day already, and it's 6 a.m. So, um, you know, with a flood tide, especially, and what to look for is you're looking for shorter grass that's anywhere between like, I would say six inches to a foot tall. It's yep. a little bit more spread out. Um, you know finding an area with maybe a, a higher part on the marsh where it's like a shelly or rake or a little hammock or something like that. Typically yep. you find a flat around it like that. It's very similar to what you guys fish. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's, it's, it's very similar. Um, the only thing that doesn't really look like it is Louisiana, but that's just because it's, everything looks like a low tide flat in Louisiana. Cause that's, there's no tide. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, looking for that short grass, the biggest thing I've found, especially here, and I believe this everywhere, um, if you have a big, beautiful flat, doesn't matter how gorgeous it is, if there's no kind of escape route for the redfish, no way for them to quickly get on and off of it, um, whether it's a little feeder creek or whatnot, you're typically not going to find them on these flats. Um, just like how dolphin, you'll rarely ever run into one because they're smart enough to know when you're coming. Right. Redfish know, know when the water is coming in and off these flats, so you're never going to find a redfish that's dried up. Yeah. They know exactly how to get on and off the flats. Um, so if you can find these feeder creeks, they kind of, you can look at it in Google Map, and Google Map shows you what the, most of these flats will look like pretty closely. But finding creeks and flats that have kind of access really from both ends um, really helps because this fish can come on and off pretty easily. Um, they're, uh, you know, hard sandy bottoms are really helpful, but there's plenty of spots I catch redfish tailing in that you could never even wait them right uh, they'll, they'll kind of go wherever there's 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 bait and fiddler crabs and shrimp and you know they're they're already starting to show up in the grass down here they're not hardcore tailing yet we've seen quite a few tailing but not the numbers and the consistency right now it's more of a tail here and there and then they'll kind of chill out or they just get on the flats and kind of sit still for a little bit they're, we're not in our full tailing season even though we've had tailing tides already this year yep it's pretty common um but our real true tailing season doesn't start for another month or so um when the weather gets a little bit better and and the temperature and stuff like that um we typically need a on average a seven and a half foot tide to flood um consistently um to get enough water on the grass if you get a shorter one you can still find fish in the grass but having a full tide to be able to fish them is just harder you have a shorter window the, the higher the tide you have a bigger window uh, once it gets above an eight to an eight and a half, a lot of flats just get too much water. And as you know, when you get too much water in those flats, these fish just don't tail because it's too deep right. for them. Right. They're uh, probably they're tailing, feeding, but you just, you just the tail's not them. out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. If you see a fish tailing in three feet of water, think how big that fish is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. That's the one you're probably not going to get. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and the real important thing is, you know, I've read, I've seen, I've heard, you know, I don't know what the exact science is, but supposedly, you know, it's only like a small percentage of the population of redfish are actually um, kind of have it in their head to actually tail. Yeah. Uh, um, so I always try to preach to people, if you're going to eat redfish, 
you know, eat them out of a school of redfish, you know, take one or two out of a school. You go onto a flat and you see the three redfish and you keep all three of those redfish. Those might be the only three redfish that are tailing on that flat for months. Yeah. Um, you know, putting those fish back, cause that's, a, that's a very special fish. And also, um, you know, when you get up on those flats, it's not like trout fishing where you're casting at a bank or streamer fishing for stripers or smallmouth or anything like that. Like it is as close to upland bird hunting, um, or archery as you can get, you know, you, you, you're looking for that one fish to cast to. You sometimes have literally one shot at it before it gets in too thick of grass or swims into the boat. Um, so it's a very rewarding fish to so by the time you catch it, you want to let it go because you're like, man, that was awesome. And I hope I see you again later. Yeah, for sure. I think it that's is- what more people need is interactions with fish in that way. When you sit there and you're just, you know, soaking bait in 15 feet of water, not that there's anything wrong with it. You have way less connection to that fish. But when you have a cool encounter like that in the grass, a tailing fish, I mean, it's way more personal. It's way more intimate. Um, and that's what I think drives that passion for conservation. I don't think it's coincidence that sight fishermen and fly anglers are, are usually more conservation minded than the guys that are bait fishing on a dock. Not, there's nothing wrong with either one of them, but one is a lot more invested and interactive with the fish than the other. And I think that's what gives you that respect and that desire to see that fish succeed, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and on that same note, I don't want anyone to take away from this, that I, or we think that bait fishermen don't respect right. the fishery. There's right. Plenty of them that do. And i literally fish with bait as well and oh I, I do too all the time I, I i i keep trout um i do it on a personal level and i have a lot of fun with it it's a lot of fun to go soak bait sometimes yeah I don't it's a blast. Put that much effort into it it's a blast um, but it's uh it's the same guys that you know live for duck season you know we live for flood tide season we live for we live for redfish um a good buddy of mine when i um was starting to think about leaving montana to come back here and and uh god had mentioned you know he made a comment that redfish ruin lives and they're just such a they're such a underdog fish you know they, they've been beat up their entire history you know they've been taken advantage of um but they're tough you get them in the boat they have these eyes um they're just, you you can you can drop them you can you know they're just they're just a tough fish and yeah they're hard to let them go they you think they're worn out and you got to let them go to revive them before you can even in the water they kick out of your hand and they're a mile away from you in 10 seconds yeah um, you know, they've had dolphin and anglers and gill nets and commercial fishermen, everything after them. And they, they're, they're resilient. You know, you'll get them with half their, like they'll, I've caught them before and had people catch them where their eyes are missing. They're half eaten. They're missing part of their tail and they just, they're still just strong and nasty and mean and, and beautiful all in the same. The same I have, I have a buddy that caught one with a broken off the metal three-pronged piece of the gear yeah. broken off in its back and it ate a fly crazy. it's crazy <laughs> it's so crazy yeah. so they hungry, hungry. They, yeah hungry is hungry man i don't care if i got something hanging yeah. on my back if i'm hungry i'm eating um, yeah well sweet man well that was a that was an awesome podcast and it's got me fired up i'm like all right i'm coming down there we're gonna film some flood tide fishing in savannah this summer i'm gonna do a little trip down there as long as the world doesn't end before then um we'll have to put it together <laughs> yeah man i love it yeah, for sure. It's uh, well, I say that this summer. I'm about to have a baby. We'll see what happens. We'll see how flexible my schedule gets. So I'll see you in I'll see you in five years. Yeah, I'll see you in five years uh, on Skype again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, well, sweet man, is there anything else? Obviously, I'm going to connect all your social platforms and your contact stuff through not your number and all that, but but how to get up with you if people want to book a trip um, through your website and your Instagram. 
on the show notes. But is there anything else you want to leave anybody with or anything like that? Yeah, no, just, uh, you know, don't forget to support your guides right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people that rely on this time of year. I'm, I'm fortunate that I also have another job working in the shop. Um, but a lot of guys work full time and are, are having a hard time finding work right now. Um, I've had cancellations, but they don't hurt me like they hurt some people. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, call to book a trip. I'm definitely not the only guy down here. I have plenty of other guys to recommend. There's plenty of other guys that have been doing this longer than me. Um, and uh, want to make sure that they all get their credit. But uh, other than that, just you know, respect the fish and um, respect each other. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's that's a, that's a good one. Respect the fish and respect each other. Um, well, cool, man. Well, I'm going to close her out here, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, let me switch over. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. What a great show. If you haven't been to Savannah, you know, even not even on a fishing level, it's just such an incredible place. Um, so much cool history and beautiful um, – just beautiful buildings down there, beautiful trees, so much Spanish moss. It's a really cool spot to go hang out. Great spot to take your wife and or your your girlfriend or something and slip away for a day of fishing. Um, like he said, Chad's an incredible guide. There's a lot of if you know fly fishing and sight fishing isn't your thing. If you want to you know change it up, there's a lot of other great guides down there as well. Um, but but definitely check him out. And if you're in in the area, go check out Rivers and Glen uh, Fly Shop. There's one in Augusta and there's one there in Savannah. Uh, really cool shops. Um, and I'm, I, you'll like it. You might even get to meet um, Chad's Golden Retrievers. So, um, But uh, I will, uh, I'm going to close it out here. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you all in the next episode. Later.